Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to gather here, and some of you are gathering online, and there is great power when God's people gather. We have God's word, we have worship, and we are able to come together to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be challenged, to be rebuked, the whole, the whole thing. And here we are in Daniel, and last week we began this series, and so today is week two. If you missed last week, I encourage you to check it out online or on the podcast because it'll help you be caught up with the characters that we're going to read about today. Let me begin with John chapter 17, verse 3. In this verse, Jesus says this, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Right? Know God. Knowing God. Not just knowing of God. Today we see a distinction between a king who knows of God and knows about God and even with his own words can praise God and then how different that is from those who truly know God. They go before him. They have full trust in him. We're going to see those different roles this morning. This passage actually is such a full chapter it has multiple different takeaways. If I was writing a devotional for us this week, I could have five different lessons out of today's chapter alone. We're going to go into all of them. And so my encouragement for you is if there's one that really sticks out to you, just cling to that, think on that, chew on that, pray on that. You don't need to feel compelled to write down every single note or cram it all in your mind because it's just a lot uh, that we'll have this morning. So let me begin with this. How many of you uh, like reading biographies? Anyone kind of enjoy it? Yeah. Uh, one of the things I love to do is reading, uh, bi- I love to read biographies about those who are Christians who've just done a great work in the past. And one of those that stood out to me uh, the most when I was a child was this. It's called Shadow of the Almighty. I read this in high school and it changed my Christian life because I learned of a man named Jim Elliott who was a missionary in Ecuador and he died there in the jungles. I, I read of a man who was so devoted and so, so convinced that uh, he must steward well his life and his gifts to take the gospel to a group of people who've never heard it. And I had never read of such an account like that with such detail. And this morning, when we read these descriptions of these guys, it's almost like a mini biography, like a microbiography. We're going to learn all these different lessons from Daniel and then his three friends, and we're going to see how God is using them, what their values are, what their priorities are, and it reminds me almost like of a, of, of a, good, of a good book on this. So let's begin with chapter two. Last week was Daniel chapter one. Today is Daniel chapter two, and, and uh, we're going to begin kind of around chapter, uh, verse 13 or 14. So let me summarize what happens till there. There's a king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. He's been having this disturbing dream. And it's so terrifying to him that he calls in all his magicians and enchanters and all these guys. And he says, tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation. Well, their response is, hey, listen, nobody knows the dream. You got to tell us the dream and then we'll interpret it. And he's like, I'm going to kill you then. And so he's very impulsive and he goes out and he wants to kill everybody because they claim nobody, no man, no person is able to know this dream and nobody's going to be able to then tell you what the interpretation is. And that is where we are now in verse, let's see, 14. So starting in verse 14, it says, then Daniel replied with prudence. You got to remember Daniel is one of these, he's considered one of the wise men, one of the wise guys, you know, like he's in the Babylonian uh, empire at this time and he and his friends. And so he's being rounded up to be killed along with all the other enchanters and magicians because nobody's interpreting this dream. 
So Daniel 2, verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion, love those phrases, to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. All right, so right out of the gate here, we have the first lesson that we can learn from these characters. And that is the, their perspective of dignity and honor that they are giving this king, even though he is a godless man who is ruthless, willing to kill his whole king's court of like magicians and wise men and others just because they can't do what he wants. In this case, the wording in my translation says prudence and discretion. It reminds us a lot of last week, even in chapter one, when the king gave the order for how the, uh, the boys and everyone there were supposed to eat the food and everything. And their response was with, uh, with respect, again, to the authority at hand. This reminds us of 1 Peter 3.15. Peter wrote this in the New Testament. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. One of the great lessons we learned from Daniel and then his three friends, yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is that they avoid name-calling. They, they avoid irreverence, even to a godless king with an unjust edict. Well, for us, this is incredibly applicable. I mean, this happens in our family. This could happen in our workplace, toward our boss, or toward, um, I don't know, those who might work for us, and just our interactions with them, giving them the dignity they have as a person made in God's image. Even this weekend, in light of the Supreme Court's ruling, there is all this tension, and there's a lot of mudslinging going around. Well, how, are we to, how, how should we reply? My, my, my urgency to you is to have conversations with people with dignity and respect. You can still talk through hard issues. Now, the particular thing over, uh, two days ago from the Supreme Court, that is an issue that I personally have been praying for for 35 years of my life, begging the Lord. And frankly, I never thought it would actually happen. And, uh, Lynn, Lynn and I, we're uh, sitting down and I read the news and I said, you won't believe it. And told her, we, we have been seeing the, the ebbs and flows in our short life for years on this matter. Some of you were alive when this be, um, when, in the 70s when that was a ruling initially. And, and for us to see a constitutional right for a child to be born is so meaningful for us. But it has also caused many of my friends from back home, uh, locally, uh, friends on Facebook, People in our own church who uh, name uh, specifically, I think of um, those who were students in our ministry and other young adults that are thinking for themselves, they're asking different questions, and some of them are furious at the ruling that, that played out. And so what's my interaction with them? It's not, it's not putting them down. It's having dignity and respect and honor toward them as we talk through hard issues. That's my encouragement for us as we have those conversations with people particularly neighbors or friends or family and, and what that might look like on social media or one-to-one, -one, what whatever that may be. So the story continues. It's implying that the king gives permission to Daniel's request. Daniel goes in, he's like, I need time. All right, he gets the time. And then we can just, you know, kind of fill in the gaps here. He gets home and he tells his three friends, all right, guys, you know, we have till whenever, let's just say breakfast. We have till breakfast. 
We need an answer from God. And if we don't get it, we're going to be killed with all the others. You know, if we don't get it, we're going to be face-to-face with Moses, Abraham, and King David by lunch tomorrow. So that night, they seek the Lord. So verse 17 tells us about it. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. This leads us to another lesson that we can learn. Again, if this was a devotional, I would just use that and then lead it into this. When was the last time we prayed like our life depended on it? When was the last time you've been in a situation like that? I've prayed for many folks within our church and other family members who were in a medical situation like that. It was literally a life or death situation. For some of you as parents of uh, kids who might be, say, teens or, um, or much older, you are praying on a daily basis for your child's physical safety or spiritual salvation or mental well-being, and you are praying with great angst for that. Personally, I've experienced this sort of situation just a handful of times that without God's intervention, there would have been death or imprisonment or some sort of persecution or injury. Others of us, we've never been in a situation like this because we've so insulated our lives from any holy discomfort that we don't need to rely on God in these sort of moments. And so when was the last time you positioned yourself to have to rely completely on God? Some of you are there right now. One of my favorite things about our partnership with Columbia, where we have a team right now there, is the missionary family who runs the ministry to the tribes there. The couple, uh, Hellman and Rosalba Ocampo, they have done great work. And uh, Hellman has just told us so many stories over the years of how he faced situations like this. One of those is he, he's told us how he had a hitman that was assigned to him. And the man followed him around to kill him. But after watching him for a long enough time, decided this man is too godly, I'm not going to kill him. There's another situation he told us where he said he, this was when he was younger. He was like, I was much younger. It's funny uh, just hearing him talk about it. Because I, I don't know, I'd imagine he's in his 60s. And he's told how he had a, he snuck on a boat to go to this tribe. And the boat was run by bad guys. And I think it was guerrilla soldiers, if I recall right. So he's crammed up front in this little section of the boat trying to hide. And after some, time, uh, some point in time, they find him. And they're going to kill him. I'm like, who is this guy you know, on our boat? And he uh, convinced them that he could be their chef. And so he's like, I, I don't like do that stuff. But he figured out a way, started cooking all the food. And he said they loved it, which was super funny to us because he's like I, don't really like, I don't know the chef dynamic thing. And yeah, in that case, he was about to die and God came through. You know, when was the last time we positioned ourselves to have to fully rely on God? It is incredibly scary when you're there. And yet, when you watch God come through, it builds a, a building block in your faith. And then you build upon that. So last week we looked at this with chapter one, where they, they took a step of faith and they challenged the king so that they didn't have to eat his food or drink the drink. And it strengthened them in a certain way. Well, fast forward a little bit of time, maybe, you know, it just looks like two years. And here now they have another moment. And we're going to look at next week, another moment. It's fascinating how that works in our lives. Well, verse 19 continues. Verse, uh, yeah, it says, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, and I'm going to read this 
praise. You know, you could put this to music and this would be a fantastic worship song or even for them. I don't know if they were musically inclined as a group, but uh, you could imagine that this was, uh, this was written for us. So this wasn't just like an off-the-cuff prayer. I mean, this was something they would have leaned on heavily. And also, as we read this, listen to how he credits God with the one who was working. So it wasn't Daniel saying, you know, well, because I fasted and had a good dream. You know, I didn't eat pepperoni pizza, so my dreams were normal. And like, no, no. And he didn't say, because of my research and my, and my prowess and my obedience to God, and, and because God, uh, because I'm so awesome, like had nothing to do with Daniel. His praise is all about God. Listen to these words. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. What a wonderful praise. And that actually leads us to another lesson. And that is we're reminded we can pray to God about anything. We can ask God about anything. He is the giver of wisdom, and we don't need to fall victim to the enemy's lies that we have like a limited amount of prayers for the day, or, or maybe even a limited amount of big prayers for the day. If you're like me, you can find yourself thinking like, well, I don't know, I just asked like, that was a big one, and God came through, I need to like build up more whatever energy or juice, you know, like, no, that's not how this works. You don't have to go from, well, I prayed a big one this week, I'll have to wait till next Sunday. We think this way because the enemy just deceives us, and we're dumb. But that's not what we see at all in scripture. We come to God with whatever, whenever. And I would even challenge us with this. Those of us who'd say you've been wayward for months or years, you just not walked in the way that maybe you used to. And the Lord has been prompting on your heart. You feel kind of guilty. You're like, God, I don't want to tell you. I don't want to ask for your help on this. Hey, ask for God's help. Seek him. Talk to him. And as God prompts you and shows you areas of your life you need to repent and confess, do that work. But do, again, don't, don't believe the enemy's lies that you're like um, a child of God that's like kicked in the corner and therefore, you know, you got to get all the way to the other side before you can talk to him. None of that nonsense. Pray to the Lord if you got big stuff going on, even if you have been walking away, right? We don't want to abuse grace. We don't want to treat God like a genie. But we can still bring ourselves to God immediately when things come on our plate. All right, verse 24 says this. Therefore, Daniel... Well, actually, you know, before, I, just a thought came to mind. You know, in light of what I was just saying, the, the, usually when we've been walking away, God will use like a trial to good our attention. It happens all the time. And so even more so in those moments, don't fall victim to the idea that like, well, I can't talk to God about this. It's like, no, no, he's actually getting your attention in this. So talk to him, pray to him, get right with him and begin walking again. So, so again, just the enemy is so good at, so crafty at making us think, we can't talk to him. We can't pray to God about anything. And it's like, no, those, those exact events were established and set up to get your attention, to pray to him. So uh, let's uh, go now. Verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man 
who, you, uh, who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, right, that was his Babylonian name, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. I right, just like pause there for a moment. You can imagine, Nebuchadnezzar is such a hothead. He's probably like, oh man, I just, I just heard this from the other guys and that's why I said y'all gotta be killed. So it's like builds up this tension and then Daniel says, but, and he gets into it. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the, later, in the latter days. Well, this reminds us, I'm gonna pause here before we read the dream and stuff because there's another lesson in this. There's so many lessons. I, I, I don't, I love it. Again, I told you, it was like a little mini devotional the whole way through. In this case, we see this theme not only here, but also throughout the book of Daniel. And that is that of God's sovereignty. Without God's absolute rule and his omniscience or being all-knowing and that engagement that he is able to give Daniel, then Daniel would not have known the dream and Daniel would not have known the interpretation of the dream. And so God is moving and the one in charge behind the scenes on all this matter. All right, so now let's look at the dream. I'm going to skip down to verse 31. He says, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and it broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like shaft of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. All right, there you go. That is the dream. That's a frightening dream for Nebuchadnezzar. That's pretty detailed too. Like sometimes I'm like, I have dreams and it's like about like a frog or something silly. Like this is, this is specific. This is intense. And this is also a prophetic dream. So I got a picture for you just to help you see like what the dream was in an artist's rendition. The, the head is gold, the, um, the chest and all that silver, the middle area, right? His abs, right? The picture gives Nebuchadnezzar or whatever, this guy like six pack. He's got bronze and he's got uh, iron for legs and his feet are a mixture of iron and clay. And what's not in that picture, but is in some other artist renditions is the uh, giant stone that gets, you know, thrown down on the feet and the whole thing comes crumbling down. So that is the dream and what we have for us, wonderfully recorded, is also the interpretation of the dream. Sometimes there's stuff in Ezekiel and Isaiah and all that, and it's, it, we don't have the full interpretation in the moments. And so it's a little tough for us today to say, like, uh, did that happen? Or what does this mean? In this case, he has the interpretation. And let's just say this. This interpretation and this dream, this is something that an empire today would pay a trillion dollars to find out. Tell us how things, or what the future is. Tell us how the global empires move and shift in the next um, decade or 100 years or 300 years. Like, people want to know this information. This is stuff that a bunch of, um, I don't know, 
I don't know what the term is, but people on YouTube who just want to make a bunch of ad revenue money and stuff, they'll just make stuff up because they want you to click it and you watch it and you're like, oh, I don't really know. They don't know what they're talking about most of the time. And the only times they would is because they would read something like this and it tells us the answer. So verse 36 breaks it down. It says, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. I love it. 37 it says, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom... And I love this because this tells us who's the one who put him here, not, not Nebuchadnezzar's prowess as a leader didn't establish him in this spot. It was God. It says, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. I bet he loved that too. He's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's the gold, gold face. Verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like the iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And then he gets into even more details. And this is the stuff that's more complicated for us to interpret today. But in a moment, I'll explain to you what these kingdoms are to the best of our knowledge. He says, and as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed in with the soft clay. Verse 42. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. All right, so that's the end of like the, the feet stuff. Now let's talk about the rock, 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. I love his confidence as he describes this to the king. This is one of the most famous prophetic interpretations in scripture. Today, you can see all sorts of writings about this, blogs on this, discussions on this. What is fun for us as readers in 2022, we're able to look at this using what I'll give three different filters to understanding this. So the first filter is basic hermeneutical principles to interpreting a text like this. This text is considered apocalyptic in that it is this prophetic text about the future, and it's like... Um, well, what do you do with that? Well, let's just recognize the significance is not about the statue, but the meaning of it. So you have to find out what is the meaning of this. And that is in contrast to other sort of genres that would be like um, what's called narrative. You know, Jesus walked with his disciples. Like that's just, a, that's just a part of the story. There's not this deeper metaphorical meaning behind it. It's just, it's just him just walking. So in this case, we have this interpretive element that we have to have. A second filter we use to understand a text like this and what are those kingdoms and all that stuff. Another, another text you'd use or an, another filter is other biblical texts. And so sometimes you got to look in like say Isaiah or Ezekiel or Revelation and there's a lot of um, uh, 
complementing with the different books. But in this particular chapter of all things, this is rediscussed with different with a different dream in Daniel chapter 7. And so when we get to Daniel 7, you're going to see the same discussion. And instead of, say, um, the, the, the ten toes and all that, you're going to see discussion about ten horns and things like that. And so there is a, there is a breakdown. It's, it's fascinating. Usually there's not that much of a one-to-one uh, parallel among texts, particularly in the same book. Sometimes there's other books, but then you have to be careful because when you get into other books, they might be in a different original language, uh, such as like, this is now Aramaic versus Revelation, which is in Greek. And you got to gauge like, is this truly a parallel or does this just appear to be? And there's uh, ideological things there. There's cultural things there. And so it's a little more difficult. Well, in the case of Daniel, it's fantastic. Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, they mimic each other. And so we just work through it. And then a third filter that we use for a text like this is actual world history. Because we're looking at it 2,500 years after this dream was discussed and talked through. And so you're able to uh, well, for, for Daniel, he's like, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the king, like you're the head of this, uh, you're the gold, and kingdoms will come after you. Well, for us, we're like, yeah, those, most of those kingdoms are in the past. That's great. And so we're able to look at that. So let's talk through a little bit of what most scholars would say regarding who these kingdoms are. And again, there's a couple who might have different views on this, but there is a, there's a really strong general take on this among not only those who are Christian theologians, but then even just world scholars using this as a text to say, you know, that here's what was said. And so here you have, uh, I'll say five kingdoms. The fifth would be if you count the, uh, the giant stone that crushes everything. So the first kingdom gold is Babylon. We know that from this actual text and it says that. The next is the silver is the Medo-Persian and that's a empire that comes immediately after Babylon. And we actually read about it in Daniel chapter 5. So again, we don't, there's not a lot of guessing games here regarding some of this. Daniel 5, if you recall, it's the story of the handwriting on the wall. And then that same night, well, the other empire comes in and takes out Babylon. All right, well, there we have the second one. The third one that they don't know about yet because they're not alive, but it's this empire that comes later called Greece. We know Alexander the Great. Yeah, they come in, they take over, and they become the global empire. And then if you are familiar with world history, who comes after Greece? Rome. And Rome takes over, and they are the iron legs. So we see that, and then the rock, this is this eternal thing that becomes this mountain. Uh, it, it is a uh, you know, cut out by no other human hand. This is God's eternal kingdom, specifically Jesus as the king of this. And that is what is known. The biggest question mark, which we'll get into when we get to Daniel 7, because again, this text parallels this. The biggest question mark is uh, about the toes and the, and the horns that we see in Daniel 7. Who are these 10 kingdoms and different kings? What does this look like? Is this still Rome? Is this a type of Rome? Is this metaphorical for ancient Rome that is now today? Is this not even that at all? And that's where there's all this different stuff. In fact, if you look this, this passage up, that is where most of the discussion resides because it prompts really good question marks for us, which I'm going to get into in a few weeks when we get there, all right? So you're going to have to wait. The focus of the dream that I want us to land on now, because this is just unique for this, for this uh, passage that we don't see in chapter 7, it's verse 44. I'm going to reread this for you. It says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. 
It's a reminder for us as Christians, no matter how you might interpret what the, all those little kingdoms might be, no matter where you land on that, we know that in Christ, we are a part of an eternal kingdom. And so the global empires, they come and go, but as Christians, those who are born again, those who are believers, they are sealed to the one kingdom that will stand forever. And so no matter what geopolitical events happen in our lifetime, happen this summer, or happen in, you know, whatever, several decades from now, we can anchor our minds and our aspirations and the unknown future, we can anchor all of that in the, into the one thing that is known, and that, that, is that, save, that is that Jesus is the Savior. He is the eternal King. And nothing can take that away from us or take that away from Him. And so that is such a wonderful uh, baseline when you read the news or when there's um, conversations about this kind of stuff. So there we have it. Uh, now, the question is, how does the King respond? You know, was he angry or did he celebrate? Well, verse 46 tells us, Then Nebuchadnezzar, he fell upon his face, he paid homage, homage. I still never know. I needed to look that up between services. Uh, he paid it to Daniel. And he commanded that an offering, an incense, be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. All right, so that's the end of chapter two. A massive story. And then even from these last few verses, wonderful takeaways. First of all, one of those is that the young men, they were promoted. So God used this trial to get Daniel into the Babylonian Oval Office to be able to have a promotion of new influence over the whole country and then including the three other friends and get them all over the place. God used this as a means to establish godliness and God-fearing people in a position of influence and authority. Another takeaway that I want to conclude with is the king's response. Notice his words. His, his words and his lips, they praise God. They acknowledge God, but his heart doesn't know God. And that would be the distinction between him and the other guys, uh, Daniel and his friends. Nebuchadnezzar was happy to get an answer from God, but he didn't want to surrender to God. We know this because in the next chapter, we read about how he's about to throw a bunch of guys in the fiery furnace, and he wants everybody to worship his, you know, his stuff. It's like, all right, you didn't get it. You didn't get what happened back here in chapter 2. For Nebuchadnezzar, God, Yahweh, you know, God, the only true God, was a means to his egocentric end. So he acknowledged God in one moment, but in the next, he goes back to his old ways. And that challenges us for our own spiritual walk and journey. Do we do the same thing? Do we seek God in the moment when we need him, and then we jump back? Have we truly surrendered to God, or do we just acknowledge God? Um, you know, yeah, God, yeah, and Jesus is real. Yeah, he died on a cross. Yeah, I believe in God the way, like, you know, the demons believe that God exists. Or do we really surrender and fully believe all, all chips in that eternal route of salvation. Jesus being the way and the truth and the life. Yes, I believe that. Or is it, yeah, it's just one, you know, a mixed bag of different things and I go to him when I want. Again, John 17, three. I read this at the very beginning. I'm gonna reread it here. This is eternal life 
that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Friends, as we think about our own walk with the Lord and being right with him, we remind ourselves of Acts 4.12, another verse similar. It says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And it's describing Jesus Christ. And along with those lines, I'll conclude, and Maddie, you and the team, you guys can get up here. Romans 10 says it this way. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God or you are justified. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. It's amazing when you can look at King Nebuchadnezzar and at his, uh, I'll call it like a, like a superficial awareness of who God is. You can look at that and we can challenge our own selves. Do we function like that too? Or have we fully believed in Jesus Christ? So there we have cha chapter two, this story. It's like a good biography, right? This chapter, it inspires us. It challenges us with how those guys leaned on God in powerful ways. Uh, let me, I'll just, for our sake, you know, I know you're listening to it. I have it written. But let me just quickly summarize all these different points for you. Um, at the beginning, we see that Daniel has prudence and discretion. And likewise, we should too, especially right now in light of all the different tensions that are happening with the Supreme Court ruling. And we see that uh, Daniel and his friends, they prayed like their life depended on it. Man, when was the last time we did that? Their, uh, their prayer reminds us that we can't ask God about anything. And that's fantastic too. Uh, we are reminded that God is sovereign in his absolute rule and his omniscience. Uh, and then we also see that uh, in light of the dream and what played out there, that no matter what the geopolitical events are, we can have an anchor knowing that we are part of the eternal kingdom. And then two more. There's so many in this. This is wild. And then we have uh, the young men. They're promoted because God used that trial to get them in those spots. They never would have been there if it wasn't for so much drama leading up to it. And then this last one, the king's response. He praises with his lips, but he doesn't actually know God. You know, do we know God? Do we know Jesus Christ as our Savior? What a fantastic passage for us. So much here. Uh, with that, I'm going to pray for us.